Это очень традиционный метод, да? Да. Now that is a familiar sound. The dirge of my bad Russian, the high clink of tiny glasses filled with clear, hard liquor. You probably already know where this is. Now consider that we are drinking before noon with barrel-chested men in front of their wood-fired still, just before a long lunch of sulguni cheese and grilled pork and orange wine, and now it is certain. We are in the country of Georgia. We're on the eastern flank in the winelands of Kaheti, where my favorite thing isn't the wine at all. It's the legendary grape brandy they make after the wine is pressed. And this brandy has the most delightful, absurd, hilarious on the tongue name. It is called Chacha. Chacha. It's actually in good Georgian, I think, to my ear at least, more of a voiced consonant. So it comes off the tongue more like Jaja. Which, to be honest, is how you want this word to sound. Loose and a little easy on the palate. Because chacha is a bit of axle grease for the entire culture. The thing that makes all the other things in this beautiful and very tough place more manageable. Back home in New York, I have been sick for an age with some sort of early winter, non-COVID, full bullshit cold. And I just keep thinking about chacha about the freshness of it, the fire, the cleanse, the 90-proof alcohol that feels like it could be a dayquil for the gods. But I do not have any cha-cha in New York. Long ago, I finished or gave away the leaders that I brought back from Georgia this summer. So consider this episode a heartfelt letter to a long-distance flame, to a love across the ocean, to my spirit, to my cha-cha. Let's start with Django. I always used to name my cars. I didn't own a car until I was in my mid-twenties, and that was a 13-year-old stick-shift Honda Civic, such a lovable, steaming pile of shit that it had to have its own name, just so we could curse it under our breath or give it personalized encouragement as it bucked and trembled at the crest of yet another San Francisco hill its dented grill pointed straight toward the sky at the intersection of Jones and Union. I called it Doughboy, because I was 25 and a dork, and the roof was buckled and gray and looked a bit like a World War I helmet. I know a lot of people name their cars like this, but I don't know of many vehicles, in the real world at least, whose names are known far outside the circle of their owners. But I had heard of Django long before I ever met him. Django was a swaying, decrepit VW bus with tattered upholstery and a windshield that the air whistled right through. It had been a journalistic hero of the 2008 war between Georgia and Russia, along with its thin, chain-smoking driver, Zviad. Django had brought writers and photographers up to the front line of the war and beyond, around roadblocks, in and out of Russian-held territory. It had earned its fame the hard way, no war story made it back to me from that year without somebody mentioning Django. I met Django much later, but the vehicle was still glowing from all of those great deeds, and maybe from a broken radiator fan. It was, objectively speaking, 
of Rough Ride. My friend, the journalist Paul Rimple, had arranged for Django to pick me up from Tbilisi International Airport at 5 in the morning or whatever ungodly hour the flights from Istanbul arrive. And by the time the 20-minute ride into town was over, Zviad and I had smoked a half-pack of cigarettes and made a very serious plan that week for cha-cha. Django would take us there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The story of cha-cha starts with pomace. That's the pulp you're left with after you press grapes for wine. And, like tarragon and monks, pomace seems like an inexhaustible natural resource in Georgia. The natural wines of Georgia are legend, and they actually use the muddled grapeskin, which they often throw into their big clay kvevri pots so it can macerate with the wines, deepening the reds and turning the white wines orange. But even those skin-contact wines are still a small percentage of Georgian wine overall. So every year you have hulking piles of leftover pulp in every courtyard, scraped out of every wine press, ready for distillation, ready for the fire. I won't go too much into the process. This is not a practical moonshining podcast but it roughly goes like this. Ferment the pomace for a few days and then throw it into a metal still. Side note, this is unscientific, but I have always thought moonshine setups in the former Soviet republics, like Georgia, are just superior because this is such a wonderland of old metal. All of those old rusting Kamaz trucks and abandoned ladas and disused tanks and guns from the steampunk empire of the Soviet Union, well... Some of that was just made into newer tanks and guns, but a not small amount of that steel and iron and copper was put to a new and equally needed purpose. Homemade stills for homemade booze. And now every village is its own self-defense unit against boredom and winter, ready to make as much cha-cha as the villagers need to drink themselves into whatever level of oblivion seems appropriate. Anyhow, to make cha-cha... Bring your pomace to a boil in that metal still, letting the alcohol turn to vapor. Then run that vapor through any kind of water-cooled pipe that can act as a condenser, and then watch the cha-cha drip out into a bucket as pure as the driven snow. You need to toss the first and last glass of the distillation, leaving only the good stuff, the heart of the cha-cha. And if you want to test the alcohol content, no need for a fancy hydrometer or even to look at the bubble size. Just toss a swig of it onto the wood fire you've got under your still. If it makes a little poof, a fireball like in a magic show, you've got something good on your hands. So that's how it's made. But in Georgia, half the charm is how it's stored and sold. This very serious plan that Django and I had was all about getting our hands on the good stuff, the village stuff. It got off to kind of a slow start, which is to say, Django had taken us east out of the capital toward Azerbaijan into Kajeti. We ate some very good things, drank some good wine, but our cha-cha moment didn't come until we were already on the road back home. But man, what a moment it was. 
We stopped the van by the side of a road, nondescript, dirt shoulder, a pack of indifferent dogs nearby. The houses in Cajeti sometimes have these high iron gates that are, again, just sheets of old Soviet metal welded together. Ziad got out, rolled the gate back, and in a minute we were in the home of a very old woman, seated on her couch in a very small and well-cared-for living room. We made a little small talk in Russian, and then she stood and opened a door. There should have been a bedroom or dining room behind that door in an ordinary house, but this was not an ordinary house. This was a house of chacha, a house of homemade wine. And so it was not another room, but instead a dirt-floored marani, a Georgian wine cellar, right off the living room. And these are not the barrel-lined storehouses you'd find in Napa or the Piedmont. A marani is mostly empty except for a skee-ball minefield of holes in the floor. The wine is all underground in giant clay cveri. I had been in maranis before, but I had not expected what the woman did next. She quickly grabbed a long plastic tube snaking from a jug next to one of the holes, put it to her lips, and then started siphoning with a vigor I had not seen since... I once saw a guy in Jacksonville stealing gasoline from a truck with his mouth. Anyhow, from there it flowed, beautiful vermilion wine, which she directed into an empty two-liter bottle of Pepsi. Lined up against the dingy window in similar soda bottles was the clear cha-cha that we had really come for. She sold it all to us in bulk and for a song, and we happily loaded up Django with the wine and cha-cha and sputtered back down the mountain, Django's so rickety and laden with pure spirit that if we had had so much as a fender bender, it felt like we too might have gone poof in a big fireball like a magic show. I was a hero after that, bringing this glorious cha-cha back to Tbilisi to Paul, who had asked for a few liters as his vig, and back to my people home in New York. No country puts more great alcohol in plastic bottles than Georgia, even when they have glass bottles to use. I once went to an upscale wine store in Tbilisi where they did a nice tasting of some fine wines from bottles in the showroom, and when I had made my choice, they went back into the back room and brought out two-liter plastic bottles of what we had just been drinking from glass. So by now, for me, it's practically Pavlovian. If someone offers you spirits or wine in a water bottle, good things are about to happen. And no alcohol is a better companion to the empty water bottle than cha-cha. In Georgia, they talk about cha-cha surprise, the moment in which a child or sometimes an adult looking for a sip of water instead gets a mouthful of 90-proof alcohol brandy. Lucky for them. For me, when I'm back home in New York, like I am now, cha-cha is but a faraway memory. But the idea of cha-cha of a clear, strong old-world alcohol that tastes best from a crinkling bottle of Poland spring water. That has stayed with me, sustained me even. In the worst of the pandemic, when we had to somehow reinvent the happy hour, snatching a bit of companionship from the lockdown, from the fear and uncertainty, I went back to those plastic water bottles. There's no cha-cha here in Astoria, Queens, but there are plenty of Aegean versions of Pomace Brandy, so I stocked up, in particular, on Tsiporo, 
The Greeks of Volos, the port town where the Argonauts had once set sail in order to find the Golden Fleece in Georgia, they liked to drink this tiburo in special tavernas, taking the stuff down by the carafe as they snack on swordfish and sardines. Here in the Greek corner of Queens, in last year's winter of COVID, I took some glass bottles of tiburo and poured them carefully into water bottles and just walked out of my apartment, pockets full. And that was the new happy hour, meeting up with friends and walking miles against the winter wind, each with our own little eight-ounce sipper. It was an utterly different experience from those warm Georgia memories. No Django, only walking alongside the East River. Not Chacha, but Siporo. Not summer, but winter. Not a free year, but a year of the plague. But you know what? There's an eternal calm to any alcohol that feels so close to the first origins of booze, to that fruit fermenting on the ground where animals and early man alike found to their eternal joy that this moldering mess could make their heads swim lightly. That is a snort of the divine. That is timeless comfort, eternity, community. That is Cha-Cha by any other name. The Trip from Roads and Kingdoms is written by me, Nathan Thornburg. Theme music by Dan the Automator. Show artwork by Adele Rodriguez. Production by Alexa Van Sickle. Matt Goulding and I are executive producers. All proceeds from the show go to North Star's Let Us Breathe Fund in windy New York City. You can find out more or donate at northstarfund.org. A special thanks to Paul Rimple and also to John Werdeman, who took me out to Nicolas Marani, where we drank cha-cha from the bucket this summer. That was the sound at the top of the episode. Follow us at The Trip Podcast on Instagram, where I will post some more photos from these cha-cha times and at Roads and Kingdoms. We will be back next time with another travel story in 15 minutes or less from Georgia once more. We'll meet you there. <laughs> <laughs>